Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. We'll begin reading at verse 13. going to be speaking on the subject of who am I? A question that Jesus asked his disciples. But I think we need to be sure in our own minds and hearts that we have an answer for. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13, then, or beg your pardon, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. For I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shalt be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let us bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come as your children this morning into this place of worship set aside for the purpose of glorifying your name. We praise you because we love you. Lord, if there is any person in this congregation who cannot claim that they love you today, may the power of your Spirit so deal with them in such a manner as it would please you that their hearts might be molded and be yielded to the power of Jesus Christ our Savior. Forgive, Lord, our failures and our shortcomings our animosities and all the things that have a tendency to separate us. May we present a united front before the world that indeed Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> if there were only one question that were ever asked, I think it would have to be the question, who is Jesus? Fundamental to how you live and how I live. 
a question that we must somehow arrive at an answer. It's an inescapable question. It's been asked over the years from this very time that Jesus asked his own disciples who people say he is to today. Who is this person Jesus? Over in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 7 and 9, the question was asked. By a person who was not a Christian, and as far as we know, never did become one. But recorded in Luke chapter 7, I beg your pardon, Luke chapter 9 at verse 7. And we have these words, now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was done by him, that is by Jesus, and he was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John, have I beheaded? But who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Now Jesus comes to his disciples after two and a half years. And asks them, this same question. What are people saying about me? And they repeat to Jesus what people are saying. They say, well, some people are saying you're John the Baptist that has come back to life. That was said about him. Herod said it. People were telling Herod, this is nothing other than John the Baptist come back to life. Back in the 14th chapter of Matthew, we have these words. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Therefore, mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Herod wanted to say, This isn't Jesus. This is John the Baptist. Lots of people want to say, It's not Jesus. It's somebody else. Others said, it's Elias. That's what the, the uh, scripture here in Matthew gives us. It is Elias. There is no Elias in the Old Testament. That is the word meaning Elijah. And in today's Jewish Passover feasts, I am told, and I have to rely on second-hand information because I've never attended the Passover feast of the Jewish faith, that they leave an empty chair at the table believing that someday Elijah is going to come back and occupy that chair and pronounce the coming of the Messiah. The chair obviously will remain empty. But the Jew does not believe that the Messiah has already come. Listen, if he has come, 
There are multitudes of people in this world that have need of taking a second look at their way of living. <coughs> if he is yet to come, then perhaps there is time to get things right. But if Jesus has come, as we believe and as we teach, and as this man in the, in the scripture proclaims, then it's time for us to take notice of his coming, of his presence. There were others who said it's Jeremy, which is the term for Jeremiah. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but in 2 Maccabees, which is one of the books of the Apocrypha, books that were written during the time that the scriptures were being written but were never adopted into our Bible, there is a story in 2 Maccabees that Jeremiah actually took the ark out of the Holy of Holies and hid it to keep it from being captured by the Babylonians when they came into Jerusalem. We have no substantiation for that statement, but there is that story that he possibly did. And the Jew believed that possibly Jeremiah was going to come back and take the ark and replace it in its rightful place. Whatever the story might be, all of the people in Jesus' day were saying, He's somebody else. He is not the Messiah. Pilate thought he was somebody else. He thought he was a good, upright, moral man when he quoted, and we quote him when he said, I find no fault in this man. Napoleon said of Jesus, I know men, and Jesus was no mere man. Diderot said that he was a man that was unsurpassed. The great musician Strauss, German, said that he is the highest model of religion. A man by the name of John Mills said that he is the guide of humanity. The French atheist Renan said that he is the greatest among the sons of men. Theodore Parker said that he is a youth with God in his heart. A few years ago, people were saying that he is Jesus Christ, the superstar. Didn't if you see that movie? I saw it. Felt that it was blasphemous. In that he was depicted as a great person, but not the Messiah. We could survey this congregation this morning and there would be all kinds of responses and answers as to who this person, Jesus the Christ, really is. And if you were faced with the responsibility of introducing him to a crowd of people, what would be your introduction? How would you present him? You were asked this morning to stand before this congregation and present Jesus Christ who might, let's imagine, be standing here. He is going to be the speaker and you're charged with his introduction. And you would have worked many days on getting the introduction prepared. 
as some of you have had the responsibility of doing for some outstanding individual, and I've done the same, and I've worked and worked to get it down right, to be sure that I introduced the individual who's going to speak properly, what would we say about this individual? Jesus the Christ. Let me tell you one of the things that I would want to say in my introduction, that he's my friend. And I know him very personally. I do not know him by hearsay, but I know him by a personal introduction and a life of many years of relationship and communion with me. If you have not had that fellowship with him, you would be falling short in being able to say, this is my good friend. That's a comment you could not make unless he is indeed your good friend. Would you be able to say that about him? I think I would want to add in my introduction that he is my intercessor. Meaning that he is the person today who, who sits on the right hand of the Father, and there he pleads my case as I take my prayers to him and ask him to intercede in my behalf to the Father. I think he showed me that when he gave us the parable of the man who had a vineyard. And there was a tree in that vineyard that did not produce. And the owner came to the caretaker and said to the caretaker, why are you leaving that tree? It's covering up the ground. Get rid of it. But the caretaker interceded in behalf of the tree and said, let me have it a little while longer, another season, and I will cultivate it, and I will fertilize it, and I will tenderly care for it so to see if I possibly can bring some good fruit out of that tree. And if I cannot, then I will agree with the master. We'll take it out of the ground. I believe Jesus pleads for our very life before the Father. As he would say to the, the caretaker, Jesus, why are you cumbering up my vineyard with unproductivity? Let's get some production or get it out of the way. And Jesus intercedes and keeps us from going to our death because he says, let me have them a little while longer. Let me try and plead. I believe that there are people alive today only because God uh, has been interceded with by Jesus on your and my behalf. So I think I would want to say that he's my intercessor, but I think I would also want to say more than anything else that he's my Savior. Why would we say such a thing? I want to ask you, a congregation of 90 or so this morning, can every one of you introduce Jesus as your personal Savior? Did he find you in the miry clay and pick you up and love you into eternity because you were willing to allow him to save you? You know, the obligation that is placed upon mankind cause of salvation you saved my life I'm indebted to you am I not Jesus saved my life and I'm indebted to him I am indebted to him 
So Jesus says to his disciples, who are people saying, I am? And they give all these responses. It's easy to say what somebody else says. Oh, they say thus and so. They say you are Elijah. They say you are John the Baptist. They say you're Jeremiah. But this doesn't satisfy the Lord and never will. He will not ask us the personal question so much, what do other people say, but he's going to turn around and say, but what do you say? What do you say? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you ever wonder how much thought Peter put into that statement? I think maybe sometimes, I sometimes think maybe, that he was very flippant in his answer and maybe had not thought it through. And I think sometimes we are so prone to respond, I love my Savior, that we're lying through our teeth when we say it. For this same man who stood this day and said to, in the face of Jesus, you're the Son of God, you're the Savior, the Son of God, said not many days hence, I never knew that man when he stood at the trial. And out of the same mouth came two confessions. One who would stand and say, yes, I know Jesus. He's the Son of God. To the other person who would stand, the same person, but out of a different voice, who would say, I tell you, I never knew him. And he cursed when he said it. There are many, many people in this world who with one voice are saying, I want to tell you that I love Jesus Christ, whose life and, st and testimony does not fit the bill. It was a true statement, but one that had not been well applied to the life of Peter to this point. And it may very well be a true statement as we stand before our churches and before the public in general and say, I tell you, I am a Christian. But in that statement, we must see evidence. And Jesus said, you are blessed, Simon Peter, for it is not flesh and blood that has revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, I want to spend a little time on this verse. Jesus said to Peter, you didn't get that idea from flesh and blood, from looking at me as a human being. That concept came from God. Now listen to me. There are lots of people who want to look at man or woman, and I'm using man in the general term here, who claims to be a Christian and see his sin or her sin, see his way of life, see his attitude, and come back with the statement, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one. 
Now, I want to say two things about that statement. And number one, that's a cop-out. Because, first of all, that is not what it means to be a Christian. If one's life does not match his testimony. And I would appeal to all of you to never judge a church or a Christian or Jesus himself based upon the waywardness and the lack of commitment that some Christian people have to what they say. If you want to find a comparison, pick out the most serious, devoted, godly man or woman and compare yourself to him or her, not to the weakling of the flock. When I was in the business of raising livestock, I had a farm. If anybody came to look at my herd, I didn't show them that scraggly one, and I hope that one stayed out of sight somewhere. I pointed to the best one I had with pride and said, see, here's what my herd looks like. Unfortunately, the herd is made up of fine specimens as well as weaklings and the miserable, undeveloped, immature ones that didn't take to the feed or to the nurture that was attempted. And those in my effort to raise a good herd were weeded out and sent to the market in order that they might not reproduce and pass on their genes to uh, their, their offspring so that I would have a continual perpetuation of poor quality within the herd. We have, unfortunately, in every society, in every organization, and in every church, the strengths and the weaknesses, and I would urge anyone who is looking for an example to find the great example, not mankind, but Jesus Christ, and compare your life to him. How do you stack up based upon the Lord Jesus? We would have to confess that some people claim Christ and act like the devil. That's exactly what Judas was. He claimed Christ for three years he was with the Lord in the midst. He was the treasurer of the group. Held the money back. And nobody could tell any difference between him and the rest of them until it came down to that crucial point. And it was that Judas sold out his Lord because he was more interested in fame or in position or in glory or in money or in personal gain. And so it is in any group of people. There are those who have ulterior motives. It is not designed to glorify God, but to enhance their own personal life. In Galatians 6, 7, God speaking says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Brethren, we will reap what we sow, and God will be the God of the harvest, not us. The second prong in that accusation that, boy, if that's what Christianity is like, I don't want any part of it, 
is that it places a tremendous responsibility on us who are Christian to reveal through our lives what we really say we believe so that we will draw people to Jesus and not repel them. We are to be drawers, not repellers. We don't put on an insecticide that will keep people away. We put on sweet perfume that will draw because we want people to come to the Savior that we know. But let me ask you, why is it important for us as Christian people to have any concern about saving the lost? I mean, so what? It's their own responsibility to let them go do whatever they want on their own. I'll tell you why. Because when we as Christian people have been saved, there comes the love of God out of heaven through Jesus Christ into our heart and the same love that God had for sinners is the same love that we now have for sinners. And we'll do whatever is in our power to win the lost if we are living as we ought in the kingdom. Now, let's conclude. Verse 18, And I say unto thee, that is unto Peter, Jesus speaking, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've spoken on this verse before, and I want to just go over real quickly a couple of things, because it's not the main thrust of this morning's message. The Catholic Church believes that the church was founded upon Peter based upon this verse. But when you understand the meaning of the word Peter, the word Peter means little stone, little rock. You, Peter, are we little. Do you think Jesus built his church upon a little stone? No. He built it on something solid. I think he, which would be lost in the translation and the reading, I think he said, Peter, you are a little stone. But upon this rock, referring to himself, I build my church. Because throughout the scripture, we do not find the church built upon men. We find the church built upon the foundation who is Jesus Christ. And the church that is built on Jesus Christ, Jesus himself says here in this verse 18, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, it did not say that the gates of hell wouldn't try the gates of the church. It says they won't succeed. The gates of hell are not capable of all of the powers, and that means that the gates evidently would be open and all the powers would come out of hell. Satan and all of his angels would make his onslaught against the church that the church will survive, it will prevail, the devil will be defeated ultimately. There is a hymn in our hymn book that we don't sing, and probably most of us don't know it. But I want to read it to you. It's the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. 
She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her and for his life he died. Let me ask you something. If Jesus Christ gave his own blood to buy the church, you think Satan's going to take it away from him? Listen to verse 2. Elect from every nation, not just the United States, but every nation. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name, she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace in due. There is only one. And united with the love of God in the heart and the interest of salvation of the lost, of the mind and soul of the church, we will proclaim who Jesus really is. We want this message made clear in this community and every other community of the world that this church serves Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, but the Savior of every one of our souls. I want to ask you this morning if you are saved. Can you introduce him as your Savior? If you can't, there's going to be an invitation made. That's the extent of the invitation this morning. If you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, if you cannot introduce Jesus Christ as your personal friend, won't you receive him into your heart and life this morning? Step out of that pew and come on down this aisle and I'll meet you down here. And you can proclaim him for what he really is. Not just the Son of God, but more personal, Savior of your soul. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.